The time has come, so turn up the sound. It's time for Buried Broadway. Hiya. Hello. I'm Jen Beverelli. And I'm Mikey Beverelli. And welcome to Buried Broadway. Where we discover, dissect, and demystify forgotten Broadway musicals. That we most likely found on vinyl for a dollar. So I hope you're all enjoying your Halloween season. This is Halloween almost. Almost. <laughs> but as we all know, Halloween lasts the entire month of October, and if you do it right, it bleeds over into November. Get it? Bleeds? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> and kind of year-round for me. You carry the spirit of Halloween within you all year long. I'm so creepy. I mean, by you, I meant the royal you, but uh, you as well. Oh, well, thank you. You and I. <laughs> you and I. So, I hope you enjoyed part one. I mean, I would hope so if you're tuning in for part two. Otherwise, what are you doing? Yeah, if you haven't listened to part one yet, stop this, press pause, and go back to our last episode. Listen to that one first, then come right back here. Yeah. Otherwise, you will be very, very lost in about a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so some quick announcements. As we mentioned before, and the date was kind of off because they pushed it back, this weekend, the Shows Must Go On is actually playing this musical, so you can see it yourself on YouTube. Just Google the Shows Must Go On and you can watch it. Yes, and that is starting to stream on YouTube on Friday, the 23rd of October at 2 p.m. And then it's available for the next 48 hours, so until Sunday. So like we said, we are going to watch it ourselves because we are very, very interested. So we are going to do a little storying, I guess. I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> But check out our Instagram on Friday night at some point to see our stories. And if you are not addicted to your phone and going to sit there and wait for us to update our stories all night long while we watch this thing, then we will save it in the highlights down underneath our profile description and you can check it out at your leisure. It should be a rockin' good time. I can't wait. I'm I so literally excited to can't see this. wait. It's been a, we've been hearing about the show and we're finally getting an opportunity to see it with our eyes. Oh, instead of our ears. Oh, I yes, get it. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was like, with our eyes. Now, also, I think it's time for a little plug of our own for a production of War in the Worlds that involves you, Jen. Ah, uh, yes. Well,. It's still a bit iffy on if it's going to actually happen, but again, check out our Instagram and our Facebook page and I will keep you all updated. But it looks like I am going to be resurrecting a role that I had in a production of Orson Welles' version of The War of the Worlds, the radio play, on Zoom. So that means that no matter where you are, you can tune in and watch it. It's going to be with Cena Theater, and I will update you all when I know more. Resurrecting so spooky. 
oh, ooh, I didn't even do that on purpose. We're just so full of the Halloween spirit. So I think we've exhausted the amount of times we can say Instagram in an intro, but you can also follow our Facebook page. You can follow us on Instagram, too. (laughs) Or you could email us at buriedbroadway at gmail.com. And you can also visit our website. Now, usually this is where we segue into the email jingle. We're still going to do that. But I want to let you know that the Jen and Mikey of today is now going away. Because after this clip, you will be sent back in a time machine to two (laughs) weeks ago when we recorded this episode. So goodbye, Mikey. Goodbye, Jen. (laughs) Spooky Halloween. If you want to get in touch, just follow this address. It's B-E-V-A-R-E-L-L-I dot com. You have now traveled in time, time, time (laughs) to... A few weeks ago, when we were recording this episode. Hello. Hi. Welcome back. Yes, to part two. Dun, dun, dun. So spooky, so dramatic. Oh, yeah, this part has a name. Yes, it is called The Earth Under the Martians. No! Spooky. Are aliens spooky? I don't find them spooky. I mean, they're scary. Creepy. Creepy. Spooky is just ghosts, isn't it? I don't know. So do you remember what was happening? It's okay. I will summarize for you. It's very easy. There are aliens, Martians, that came to Earth and are killing everything. They built their own robots that are tripods that also have heat rays inside of them, and they are melting everything in their path. And there's this guy named the journalist who's in love with this girl named Carrie, and she went away on a boat. And then there was this other boat called the Thunder Child, which is a boat, not an actual child. And it gets melted by the heat ray while one person singing as the voice of humanity mourns its loss. Yeah? Pretty good. Thank you. Oh, yeah. And there's an artillery man that comes and goes. The end. (laughs) Can't forget him. (laughs) So now we start part two, the earth under the Martians. The journalist discovers that red weed, the vegetation that gives Mars its color, has taken root on earth and spread rapidly, almost like a conscious being crawling through the earth and suffocating everything in its path. No!
In a churchyard, he discovers a parson lying on the ground and assuming him dead, decides to give him a proper burial, away from the redweed's clutches. Beth, the parson's wife, emerges from the shadows, and the parson wakes, shaking with fear, rambling about the state of the world being the devil's sign for demons to emerge. <laughs> There's always so gotta be one. Dramatic. <laughs> Beth discovers a cottage, and with the help of the journalist, they bring the parson to shelter as black smoke envelops the land. Oh, no. Also, can we talk about the fact that having a character just called the parson, <laughs> isn't that a character in Frosty the Snowman? <laughs> oh, that's Parson Brown. Yeah, Parson Brown. Well, th this parson uh, does have a name. Parson Nathaniel. Yes. Which is the name of the song. Well, it's Redweed in Parson Nathaniel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We get back to the naming scheme of just naming the songs after exactly what is happening. Which, you know, you don't forget it that way. Mm -mm. Let's see what's up. Nathaniel! Nathaniel! The parson's eyes flickered open. He was alive. burst into flame are you all right don't touch me but it's me beth your wife no you're one of them a devil so that was very different uh so far at least in the beginning mm -hmm. and i recalled after listening to that that in one of the articles that i read jeff wayne wanted this second act opener to be through the eyes of the martians so that's why it sounded so strange. Oh, weird. Yeah. He wanted it to be more like electronic. Also. Oh, what? Yes. Electronic? Like there was no. But there was like pan flutey stuff. I suppose. I guess that was the organic part of the red weed. Maybe. Because there was a part that was very video game mm -hmm. soundy. Um, also, he wanted it to be dissonant. He wanted to be beautiful and dissonant at the same time. I think time. it sounded like that. I mean, it sounds like the scapes that, not to always say this, but like he's the most famous composer for movies that John Williams does for Star Wars when they get to like another planet. He really sets the tone of the planet by the music choices that he makes. And it does feel like we're not really on Earth anymore, even though we are on Earth. Yeah, like, I would say in the most general broad stroke way, it does make me feel weird, but mm -hmm. it's kind of nice. It also, <laughs> the, the part that's, I think, supposed to make you feel weird, that video game sound, just kind of sounds really marriage-y to me. It sounds like Mario and Princess Peach's wedding. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, it just sounds like a wedding. But I, in video game world. I didn't get that, but now I kind of <laughs> see it. It's kind of funny. <laughs> One more funny anecdote, though, that I've read. This is a direct quote from him. He said, through the years, I've had tons of letters from pregnant mothers who've listened to the red weed because they find it very calming. 
They say, the rest is rubbish, but the red weed helped me through my pregnancy. Okay, so one person told him that. <laughs> like, how many people told him that? He said letters. Tons of letters. That's insane. That has to be a lie. I mean, it might not be, but... I don't know. Or there was just one group. It, there might be, you know, pregnancy groups are a thing. So oh. there might have been one lady who listened to it and was like, wow, this really helped me. And then she, like, told every one in her pregnancy group and then it spread <laughs> like the red like the weed, weed. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of funny dialogue in here because it's the first time besides the artillery man that we've heard well it's the first time we've heard a woman speak mm -hmm. and she's a genius <laughs> let's just take our hats off to beth but it's me beth your wife <laughs> I love when we have to meet a character and immediately define who they are to the other people on stage. It makes me very happy in a very sick way. What's kind of funny, though, is that they didn't do that for Carrie in Act 1. Well, Carrie doesn't even get to talk. No. <laughs> but they were, he wasn't like, Carrie, my lover, Carrie. He was just like, oh, yeah, and Carrie. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's better when they tell you who they are themselves. Mm -hmm. It's me, your wife. <laughs> but uh, also when she says, they're not devils, they're Martians. But at least she is saying it with absolute conviction. Oh, yeah. No, she's in. Mm -hmm. Julie Covington is mm -hmm. knee deep in this show and she just got here. <laughs> <laughs> so also we're introduced to Parson Nathaniel who is uh, Beth's husband, who seems pretty weird. He doesn't have to tell her that, though. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. I'm your husband. <laughs> He's here. He's having a mental breakdown because that's what religious people do when they're confronted with things from beyond, it seems. I wonder if this is the first noted religion versus alien hmm. plot line. It's very early on if it's not the first. Yeah. Unless Jesus was an I, alien. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I'm not allowed to say that. wonder if it's some sort of commentary on how futile religion is to, to the science. But maybe that's just me putting in too much. I mean, there has to be it. a reason he's here, though. There's, there has to be a reason it's a parson. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going through how different people would react to a crisis. Oh. We saw people get on a boat and leave. We saw an artillery man who said, I need to go fight and figure out if there's even more stuff for me to do. The hero. So we're just exploring how humanity reacts to being threatened. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. Well, let's see what does happen. Okay. So the next song has a few movements. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little bit of summary. We'll play a little bit of song and then I will continue the summary. Now in the safety of the cottage, Beth tries to reason with her husband, pleading that humanity and life as they know it is not completely lost. Here we go. Here. Now darkness has descended on our land, and all your prayers cannot save us. Like fools, we've let the devil take command of the souls that God gave us. To the altar of evil like lambs, to the slaughter will live. When the demons arrive, the survivors will envy the dead. 
attempt for when she completes the song a cylinder crashes through the cottage killing her some people across a field. It caught them nimbly and tossed them into a great metal basket upon its back. Beth, she's dead! Buried under the rubble! Why? Satan, why did you take one of your own? So my gut reaction is, I love this song. Well, yeah, it's the first duet we've heard. Mm-hmm. It's the first mostly sung song we've heard, even though this is only part one. Mm-hmm. There's a whole other part that we have not played yet. And also, you forgot to mention, this is the first and maybe only, I'm not sure, female that we've heard sing. Oh, no, it's definitely the first female we've heard sing. It's really rocking. I love it. It's it's so cool. Uh, interesting little bit of trivia. The Parson is sung by Phil Linett, who is the lead singer of Thin Lizzy. Yeah, yeah. I can't name a Thin Lizzy song. Yes, you can. I'm pretty sure I don't know any. The boys are back in town. I know that one. Okay. Oh. You hear it now? Yeah. His voice is gravelly. Interesting. This sounds actually like every rock show of this time period. It sounds like Jesus Christ Superstar. It sounds like Tommy. It sounds 
great. The lyrics that the Parson sings are pretty metal, kind of like in like the Jack Blackie metal, like with the <laughs> Satan imagery and and weapons and salvation and like that I that type of metal, and I really enjoy that. He's pretty hardcore with his religion. Yes. <laughs> I have to say I have one problem. Sure. Why does Beth have another mouth? Why <laughs> she sings there's a harmony part randomly with her. And it's very weird and unsettling. It's also for like one word. It's for like one phrase. <laughs> But it's not adding super a lot to Mm -mm. the music. They could have, if they really wanted that harmony to be there, put it in in an instrument. They certainly have enough of those. I don't know why there had to be another voice unless it's actually Carrie and they just don't tell you that. Because that could be interesting, I guess. But it's really weird. When it happened, I jumped and I was like, why is there another woman in the cottage? (laughs) Also, okay, so we do have to talk about plot-wise. They just introduced these people. They introduced the only female character that we're hearing vocalize. And then she dies so abruptly. <laughs> like, very abruptly. But it's like every horror movie ever. Yes, that's true. <laughs> the girl has to die real fast. Then he <laughs> says, why did you have to take one of your own? Which I was confused about because... It's his wife, and he's basically calling her a devil worshiper, which he did think she was in the previous song, so it makes sense, but she just spent an entire song telling him how much she loved him and thought that humanity was great and all these beautiful things, and in the end, it didn't work, and he still thinks she's the devil. It's all very odd, but it did bring the plot forward, and it sounds great. I love it. Except for the backup singers. They're creepy. (laughs) (laughs) And now, part two of The Spirit of Man. The Martians waste no time and start to create a new machine. It is short and spider-like with large claws and adorned with a basket on its back. sounds fancy. That it uses to collect people. Oh, not so fancy. (laughs) The journalist spends nine days with the parson, who spends his time pleading for death. It was then they noticed the Martians were draining blood from the humans it collected and injected it into their veins. The parson is insistent that he has been chosen to confront the demons, and he plans to destroy them with prayer and burn them with his cross. Seems pretty on par with every horror movie. Yeah... He's he is very much an extreme stereotype. Mm-hmm. But he's the original, so is he a stereotype? Oh, food for thought. Yes, yes, yes. I was really thinking about that. <laughs> <I'm sorry>. uh, <laughs> the journalist knocks him out to silence his rant, but it is too late. The Martians have already been alerted to their presence. The journalist drags the Parson's body down to the coal cellar, and the Martian searches with its claw for the intruders, getting so close as to touch the journalist's boot. Eek! Then it lands on the unconscious Parson and drags him away. Oh, no! The Martians eventually abandon the camp. This was very confusing. I don't know exactly when they left, but they did. Don't ask me anymore. I don't know. 
And the journalist makes his way to London. Again, not clear. Thought he was just in London watching the aliens go down the Thames and break all the bridges. Very confused, but just accept it. Now he's going back. He again encounters the artillery man. Hmm. They are shocked to see each other alive, and they mutually agree that they both cannot give up. The artillery man divulges his plan. It's a sign! I've been given a sign! They must be cast out, and I have been chosen to do it! I must confront them now! No, boss, no! Those machines are just demons in another form! I shall destroy them with my prayers! I shall burn them with my holy cross! I shall... The curious eye of a Martian appeared at the window slit, and a menacing claw explored the room. I dragged the parson down to the coal cellar. I heard the Martian fumbling at the latch. In the darkness, I could see the claw touching things. Walls, coal, wood. And then it touched my boot. I almost shouted. For a time, it was still, and then, with a click, it gripped something. The parson, with slow, deliberate movements, his unconscious body was dragged away and there was nothing I could do to prevent it. Bye-bye, Parson. Ugh, I wish he was there longer. I know, I really like his voice. I kind of want, if someone does a production of this, I want someone to listen to the Parson and just be like, line readings, you do it exactly like this. I know that's (laughs) like not, you should never do that, but I just love it so much. I know. This has a lot of movements yes it's kind of hard to talk about because there's just so much going on musically but it's not all new Mm -mm. it's a a lot of the same melodies we've been hearing just in kind of different orders and i am kind of getting the sense of like Aliens are here because I hear this specific thing. Right. And there's some humanity doing some certain cool things because this thing is happening. And that's that's that seems to be fully established by this point. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would hope. The new slash reprised recent segment of the Redweed in this kind of reminds me. I have no idea why of the labyrinth. I Don't ask me anymore. I don't know the answer. I think it's just the guitar. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think it all just feels sci-fi and otherworldly, and the labyrinth feels sci-fi and otherworldly, and I I only have a certain amount of references in my my barrel, so there you go. So finally, near the end of this, we are introduced to an old friend. A character has come back. Yeah. The artillery man is here. And I love his speaking voice, but I also might just like British accents in general. <laughs> What's his plan, Stan? Well, the artillery man is planning an underground society. Genius. That would allow humans to evade the Martians. Mm-hmm. He envisions an underground village full of shops, a hospital, and a school. And when is he going to build this? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> During this time... He plans on capturing a fighting machine. How? To reverse engineer it and create his own fleet of fighting machines to strike back. 
How? I, I have no clue. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, the journalist feels the same way you do, because the journalist believes that the artillery man is a dreamer. His ideas are too ambitious, and he decides to move on. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> but not bye, because we have to listen to him first. Yes, yes. Look, man is born in freedom, but he soon becomes a slave In cages of convention, from the cradle to the grave The weak fall by the wayside, but the strong will be saved In a brave new world With just a handful of men We'll start all over again I'm not trying to tell you what to be Oh no, oh no, not me But if mankind is to survive The people left alive They're gonna have to build this world anew And it's going to have to start with me and you <laughs> yeah, that's a song. The Spirit of Man and Brave New World are really like my type mm-hmm. of Well, because we're getting songs. lyrics now. Yes. And I really love instrumentals and they do make me excited. But when you pair lyrics to awesome instrumentals, it's way better. Yeah. And like screamy rock tenors. When people didn't care about sounding perfect Mm -hmm. they smoked a pack of cigarettes a day they didn't give two shits (laughs) and they just sang from their hearts and they squealed and they sounded silly but it sounds so good to me (laughs) and not everyone sounds the same and that's okay Mm -hmm. no that's preferred to me (laughs) i think people need to hear this that You don't have to sound like everyone else. But I feel like a lot of kids in college are trained because they want to get roles to sing higher. They're trained to, I know we just listened to David Essex like (laughs) squeal his brains out, but he was doing like rock squeals. He wasn't belting them. You're definitely not trained to sing higher the way he just did it. No, 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 no. I don't even think he was trained to sing that high. No. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds... Like, in a good way, raspy, but in a way that I'm like, oh, yeah, you couldn't do this eight shows a week. That would be scary for you. Now, if we're to look at the content of the song. Okay, I have to say, though, I know that I was the first person to say, get out of here. The artillery man is crazy. Mm -hmm. He has lost it. What is he thinking? But maybe I'm just a sucker for a cute boy (laughs) in a little rock number, but... I'm on his side now, and I think we should all live <laughs> under the earth. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that we, we took a peek. I'm not quite sure if this is 1,000% necessary, but this song is necessary. What do you mean necessary? Like, plot-wise. Why not? Like, it's- okay, it's nice that we saw the Air Taylor Man again, but 
I don't know. He just has this crazy idea and the journalist is like, nah. But it's again how humans are reacting to threats. True. He is losing it in a different way than the person's losing it. And instead of saying, I'm going to fight and pray the demons away, he's like, I'm going to be a mole person and just wait it out. And that's an approach. You're a much smarter person than I. No, I just think too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you are definitely swaying me. I I understand now. I still don't want to follow the artillery man, but I would definitely I mean, if I get to, to listen him. to him sing all the time and drink champagne, <laughs> that's fine. I'll be drunk and I might be dead in a week, but at least I'd have a good time for the week. I mean, he has good ideas, but they're impossible. With just him, yeah. <laughs> like... Especially during the song, the journalist says that he shows him a tunnel that he was digging and it's 10 meters long and it took him a week yeah and then the journalist says i could do that in a day (laughs) first of all (laughs) wow as someone who had to dig a garden out this summer it took us a whole day to dig probably a six by three plot down about two feet so 10 yards is a lot And you don't know what that earth is made out of. What if it's rock? And how big is this hole? Right. Is it really wide? Because if you have to stand up in it, it's probably really wide. So I really think that the journalist needs to get off the artillery man's back. I'm on his side now. He's giving too much sass. But on the other hand, it is a dumb idea. He's just picking on the wrong things. I guess. But okay, did you see that movie in middle school that we all had to watch? Oh, well, you went to private school. Yes, I did. I went to public school. We all had to watch this weird movie. And I think it was based off in a book about these like kids that had to live under the earth with they had like tanning beds or something. And I think they couldn't go outside because it was like acid rain or dark. Or, I don't know. They lived in the ground. <laughs> kind of sounds it was familiar. Really creepy. <laughs> let me let me look up real quick. Okay. It looks like it's All Summer in a Day by Ray Bradbury. Okay. Sure. Yeah. That's it. That's It takes place on Venus. Oh, men are from Mars. Uh, Children are from Venus. (laughs) No. Well, I'm... (laughs) These children live on Venus. I'm going to look at this again. I don't remember that they were on another planet. I thought they were on the Earth. But I just remember it creeping me out. So we'll be watching that later. Yeah. Also, Ray Bradbury is a sci-fi-ish horror writer. Yeah. So H.G. Wells is like his inspiration, maybe? Actually, I'm looking at his wiki right now, and he does list H.G. Wells, Jules Verne, and Edgar Allan Poe. Well, hey, hey, howdy ho. So maybe he was thinking, hmm. What if people lived under the Earth? (laughs) But not from Mars, from Venus. Some Venusians. Venetians? No, that's what those people are from Venice. (laughs) (laughs) So if we decide that it's okay, I'll put up a little clip of All Summer in a Day for those who also went to private school like Mikey and have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) Well, for the rest, you'll have a wee bit of nostalgia. Or nightmares. (laughs) I will say that I wish that David Essex sang earlier. Yes. And if you don't know who David Essex is, do not worry. We will talk about him later. We didn't really fully know who he was either. No. So 
do not be lost. You will be found soon. Yes. <laughs> this recording in particular has so many powerhouse singers that are used for one song, and it makes me very annoyed. <laughs> like, Well, especially because there's so much instrumental. It's like, come on, write some more so these people can sing. Yes. Like, I'm glad that Richard Burton's voice is used to the level that it is, because I love hearing him talk. But I would also like to hear Phil Lynott sing more and... I would like to hear Richard Burton sing something. Yes! <laughs> well, David Essex, in my opinion, sounds like David Bowie in The Labyrinth. Again, I have a very small range of <laughs> references in my life. But also, once something gets in my head, I can't unhear it. But in the song where he's in all the staircases and he's saying, I move the stars for no one. <laughs> <laughs> you run so far, you run so far. Like that one, yeah. I don't know why I sound like Cher when I'm doing David Bowie, but it's fine. <laughs> but the instrumental part underneath the monologue that the artilleryman has in the middle sounds very similar to the backings of Pinball Wizard by The Who. Yeah, you're right. It, the, the guitar and like the strumming, I don't know. It just sounds pinball-y. That's a nice adjective, pinball-y. But I guess we can't talk about him anymore because the journalist left him in the dust. Yeah. So let's keep on going with the journalist who doesn't even sing anymore. Yeah. Although the artillery man, since he's kind of lost it, is probably still singing. So you can visit him at any time. <laughs> in your brain. <laughs> Upon reaching London, the journalist walks the streets overcome with loneliness and despair. In a moment of weakness, he decides to give himself over to the Martians. No! But upon approaching a fighting machine, he finds it still. The Martian inside it is dead. Yes. I saw over the trees on Primrose Hill, the fighting machine from which the howling came. I crossed Regent's Canal. There stood a second machine, upright, but as still as the first. ceased. Suddenly the desolation, the solitude, became unendurable. While that voice sounded, London had still seemed alive. Now suddenly there was a change, the passing of something, and all that remained was this gaunt quiet. I looked up and saw a third machine. It was erect and motionless, like the others. An insane resolve possessed me. I would give my life to the Martians here and now. The journalist surmises that the Martians' demise was due to bacteria. Ah. I, I don't know how that happens. How does he know that? I don't know. I have no clue. Oh, ah, yes. It seems story. like a bacterial infection. <laughs> <laughs> they had no resistance to this foreign body. Oh, no. This is too close to home. Oh, no. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> As humanity recovers from the invasion and the thousands who had fled by sea return, he is reunited with Carrie. Yay! I forgot about her. It's okay, she doesn't talk anyway. No! <laughs> he poses the question, is Earth now safe? Or are the Martians going to adapt and plan a second invasion? 
Dun, dun, dun. The torment was ended. The people scattered over the country, desperate, leaderless, starved. The thousands who had fled by sea, including the one most dear to me. All would return. The pulse of life growing stronger and stronger would beat again. I have to say, I was kind of hoping for another singy sing song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But again, instrumentally, this is fun. I mean, not fun. It, it's going through like despair. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's going through like despair. And then some hope and joy. Yeah. Uh, which is, is good. Uh-huh. But I just wish that that was sung. I don't know if I'm happy or kind of disappointed that the same theme at the beginning was used here. I kind of wish that we had had a new melody. I would agree with that. But it also kind of bookends it, so I don't know. True, true. I don't know how I feel. But I also am kind of grumpy that we didn't hear... The chances of anything coming from Mars again. Yeah. Wait, did that ever come back? No, it was Just only there. The instrumental. Oh, I think the instrumental came back. But not the, the earworm singy Vocals, sing part. Yeah. I don't know where I got singy sing from. Vocals is a much better <laughs> thing. I'm going to talk about a plot point for a second, mm-hmm. and we did talk about it just a second ago, but after listening to the track again, it completely does not explain how he knew it was bacteria. No, he just says it was bacteria. It's not like um, a scientist w- tapped him on the shoulder and was like, they died of bacteria. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know how he knew because also he wasn't there. No. So they could have died in battle. They killed one Martian with cannons. Yes. Feasibly, if they had a billion cannons. <laughs> They're not completely immortal. Apparently, they die of bacteria that we miraculously know about. Mm-hmm. Also, the thing that really grinds my gears <laughs> is he does not even call Carrie by name when she comes home. Not only does she not ever speak during this, <laughs> which infuriates me, but he doesn't even say, and my beloved Carrie was returned to me he does not even say that he just says that the people come home that were leaving by ship including the one most important to him and that's where he ends he does not say (laughs) carrie but yeah so happy ending with happy music that i didn't actually find that happy the end music oh yeah i didn't really like it as much as everything else i thought everything else in the show was way more moving and way better than the end portion. Mm, but I will say a highlight for this particular song are the aliens dying to Ula. <laughs> Wait, I, what? Yeah. They were like, they were, it was a more garbled Ula. I did not notice that. Oh, I mean, I definitely heard the Ulas. I just didn't hear garbled ones. Mm-hmm. 
But I do think they sound a lot like Daleks. Oh, yeah. I realized that on this one. I don't know if they were louder than normal, hmm. but I definitely was like, exterminate. <laughs> <laughs> but guess what? What? It ain't over till it's over. What? This seemed like the perfect happy ending, the perfect place to end the show. Well, there's still one more song. Uh, it appears we have an <laughs> epilogue. In the near future, a NASA mission to Mars flounders when the control center loses contact with the craft. Ah! The controller sees a green flare uh -oh. erupt from Mars's surface. Mm -mm. The controller tries to contact NASA, but all communication seems to have been blocked. Mm -hmm. The fate of the Earth now lies in jeopardy. Dun, dun, dun. I have thoughts, but uh, let's let's hear this first. Okay. Okay. What's that flare? You see it? A green flare coming from Mars. Kind of a green mist behind it. It's getting closer. You see it, Bermuda? Come in, Bermuda. Houston, come in. What's going on? Tracking station 43, Canberra. Come in, Canberra. Tracking station 63. Can you hear me, Madrid? Can anybody hear me? Come in. Come in. cliffhanger of sorts um trivia tidbit nicely acted by jerry wayne who is jeff wayne's father we'll talk more about him in a min yes so in this epilogue firstly i don't like that there's an extra ending after the happy ending that's just odd to me but secondly <laughs> There's a NASA mission to Mars. After they know that there are Martians? Yes. They know that Martians exist, and then they're <sighs> surprised when there's a green flare on Mars, and they lose contact. Like, did they forget that this occurred? I know it's the future, so NASA exists, and the story takes place in the late 1800s, but certainly in this timeline they wrote about this and it also says the near future it doesn't say the distant future <laughs> <No>. <laughs> curiosity killed the cat um th this ending is so baffling to me i do like how it gives us a little taste of the orson wells version with the live telling of it where they're talking about something that's actually happening instead of retelling a story it's an action that's happening in the moment oh that's true because everything we've heard thus far has been in past tense mm, i forgot about that <laughs> it's just the narrator being like this happens and this right happens. and obviously he doesn't die because he's narrating the story mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so this has a lot more urgency to me which kind of leaves you unsettled yeah i i agree with that 
but I, I just don't enjoy it. I think it's a little cheesy. And but it is cheesy. It. But also, horror is cheesy. <sighs> to a level. It is. But if this is done right, it could really freak people out. I suppose so. Because the ending, it just abruptly goes black. Yes. I, I both hate and do like that, where it's just like, the end. Well, I like it. Yeah, okay. But now, let's talk a little bit about the history of the story itself. We already talked about H.G. Wells and how he existed as a human being. But let's talk about how he came up with it and a little bit more about the many iterations that there are of this very famous tale tale as old as time <laughs> martians come to earth are you saying that beauty and the beast is an adaptation of war of the exactly. worlds exactly no <laughs> <laughs> well hg wells came up with the idea for the story while on a walk with his brother while living in surrey it was very peaceful in the countryside and he imagined what it would be like if all of a sudden, aliens came and started attacking. Because that's totally normal. <laughs> <laughs> so Horsell Common, which was mentioned early on in the story, was an open area near where he lived. So he, he spent some time riding his bike around the area while imagining what it would be like if a Martian heat ray destroyed all of the cottages and houses. Which... <laughs> I love how you say that with a smile on your face. <laughs> like, oh, it's so cute. It's a fun thought. Just like a younger H.G. Wells, like la-di-da on his bike, just like looking at all the houses and being like, bam, bam. Like they're just all being destroyed. <laughs> it's like when you crush people's heads with your fingers. Oh, yeah. Like that. This was one of the earliest stories that talks about mankind versus aliens. And it was inspired by a genre of literature at the time that dealt with fictional invasions of Great Britain by other countries on Earth. It was because this invasion genre was popular at the time that this story was supported to be published. The fact that it was aliens was secondary. This story inspired Robert Goddard the creator of the first liquid-fueled rocket, which started real-life space travel. This story has been adapted into at least 10 movies and TV miniseries adaptations, including the Spielberg version starring Tom Cruise, which I particularly enjoy. I've literally never seen it. <laughs> Give it a try. Also, it's been adapted very popularly in 1938 by Orson Welles, who did a radio adaptation. It's had a few theatrical adaptations as well. And this musical. This musical is one of the more true-to-book adaptations since it actually takes place in Victorian England and stays pretty close to the plot. So Orson Welles created a very famous adaptation, like I said, but, okay, your brain is about to explode. <laughs> okay, not really, but my brain certainly exploded when I learned this fact. They are not the same person, and they have no relationship <laughs> to each other. It's just really annoying that they have the same freaking name. Ugh. <laughs> it bothers me to no end because when I was younger, I was about to say when I was younger and really bad with names. I'm really bad with names <laughs> right now. I stink at names 
And this pisses me off because when I mean Orson Welles, I say H.G. Wells. And when I mean H.G. Wells, I say Orson Welles. And I sound like a dum-dum. I do want to note that it does look like they did meet once. When the earth stood still. (laughs) In 1940, they met on the two-year anniversary of Orson Welles' adaptation. And they did some sort of roundtable discussion about it. But that is the only time they met. They were alive at the same time. Weird. (laughs) Lots of weird. Orson Welles' adaptation was part of the anthology radio series with the Mercury Theater on the air. There was an announcement at the beginning... That it was an adaptation of the H.G. Wells novel, but this was sometimes missed by listeners. The plot was moved to 1939 in Grover's Mill, New Jersey and New York City, and was set as a typical evening of radio programming being interrupted by fake news bulletins depicting the events in the novel. It was reported in the news after the program that there was widespread panic and outrage because they thought this was really happening. Now, it is kind of debated how often this really happened, though. I want to (laughs) believe. Because, well, there is that thing at the very beginning that, yeah, some people could have missed. But the second part of it switches to pretty much a regular radio drama format. Do you think people are sitting around waiting (laughs) for the second act? They're freaking out. (sighs) They're turning off their radios and running around gathering their children and their animals and getting in the car and fleeing the city. I suppose. I like to believe that it's true. Especially because I played someone who believed it was true in an adaptation of Orson Welles' version of War of the Worlds that was put on stage by Cena Theater. It was actually really effective. And if you have a time machine, I would recommend using it and seeing Jen in this show. It was really good. I had a really good time doing that show. I played a little Bobby Saxer. I don't even know if that was the right person to be in that time period. But she was from New Jersey, and she was very scared of the monsters. <laughs> So now, finally, the man of this hour and the previous hour that you might have listened to. (laughs) I mean, you probably should have. You probably should. You would have been very lost at the beginning of this episode if you didn't listen to the other episode. Yeah. Jeff Wayne. Musician, lyricist, conductor, orchestrator, conceptual artiste of this masterpiece. (laughs) He was born... On July 1st, 1943, in Forest Hills, Queens. He initially moved to the UK at the age of 10, while his father, Jerry Wayne, originated the role of Sky Masterson in the West End production of Guys and Dolls. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. So, the guy who you just heard in the epilogue was Sky Masterson. The original British one. Jeff Wayne moved back to New York in 1957 to attend high school and later pursued a journalism degree from Los Angeles Valley College, meanwhile supporting himself by playing in local bands, coaching tennis, and writing jingles for commercials. He's actually still writing jingles to this day, and it's up to over 3,000. He fully moved to the UK in 1966 when he composed for the musical Two Cities, for which his father wrote the lyrics. Wayne was dating an understudy in the 1972 West End production of Godspell, where he met Julie Covington, who played Beth, and David Essex, the artilleryman, 
who were also members of the cast. The three became friends and started a band called, creatively, <laughs> The Godspells. So creative. <laughs> In the early 70s, he was doing well as a producer, arranger, music director, including for his new friend, David Essex, when his dad reminded him of his real passion, that he wanted to write a musical. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) So Jeff started to sort through the pile of books given to him by his father for inspiration. He really needed a big push, but some of us do. And he stumbled upon H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. He was drawn in, seeing the sci-fi drama playing out as an opera. The show became a family project, with Jeff's father Jerry becoming the executive producer, co-director, and as we mentioned earlier, providing the voiceovers for both parts in the epilogue, while Jeff's father's wife, Doreen, wrote the script. It's a family affair. (laughs) Jeff wanted the sound of the Martians specifically to be ooh-la, and was annoyed when his brand new Moog synthesizer arrived in the first shipment to the UK, and it could only do ooh-ah. So, he had someone voice the sound, and he fixed it electronically afterwards to, quote, make it as dramatic as possible. I think he did a good job. I think so, too. It's definitely, I've said this before, the oolahs are a highlight for me. I, I mean, they're really good. The sound. It's so cool. In the H.G. Wells story, though, the Martians initially said Alu, which is Ula, backwards when coming to Earth. And only said Ula when they were dying. So these Martians are constantly dying? I guess so. Oh, that's really sad. Kind of sad, but they're savage. Oh, that's true. But they do all die in the end. Yeah, that's true. Also, that's kind of like... My references are all over the place today. No, please, tell me, tell me. (laughs) It's kind of like in Halloween Town where they say the spell... (laughs) backwards and forwards <laughs> to undo the spell wow i definitely was not thinking of that at all it's halloween man yeah it is halloween i can't wait to watch that movie yeah we'll watch it soon anyway jeez. <laughs> oh, reasons why it never initially opened as a stage show on the west end are scarce but we do know it took jeff's life savings to record this album He had a contract with CBS, but despite the success of the album in the UK, they didn't know what to do with it in the US, even though he provided radio cuts. It never caught on, and no one is quite sure why. The UK branch of CBS, though, they loved it. It is suspected that sci-fi fans were busy basking in the afterglow of the first ever Star Wars movie, A New Hope, that was released a year prior. But no one really knows. Nope. So as of 2020, after War of the Worlds, the musical, he wrote one more musical version of a famous story, which was in 1992, he wrote a musical version of Spartacus that was released as an album, which weirdly included Anthony Hopkins and Catherine Zeta-Jones in its cast. That's awesome. I don't think they had vinyl being made in 1992, Mm -mm. but... I'm going to find a tape. (laughs) (laughs) He is still alive and lives with his wife in Hertfordshire. 
And I did read in an interview that he is still interested in writing a musical version of Call of the Wild. What? (laughs) So, other notable people in the cast, we geeked out about David Essex earlier, and you were probably like, who in the heck is that? Well, let's talk about him a little bit. Like we said, he was in the original West End cast of Godspell, where he met Jeff Wayne. But we didn't mention that he played Jesus. And he played Jesus across from Jeremy Irons playing Judas and John the Baptist, which I looked up what he sounds like. And it's kind of exactly as you'd imagine, which is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So we got to find that cast recording then. Add it to the list. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He was in the original West End cast of Evita. We don't have to add that to the list because we own it. Mm -hmm. It was also the first production ever. He played Che across from Elaine Page. He also co-wrote and starred in Mutiny! Exclamation point. point. (laughs) (laughs) Which is... You guessed it, a musical version of Mutiny on the Bounty. And now we must find that as well. We truly must. (laughs) It has a great cover. Oh, jeez. Very 80s-centric. He actually was a pop star, and Jeff Wayne was his producer, arranger, music director, all of that. And he had a pop hit entitled Rock On, which has been covered by numerous artists, including Def Leppard, and it was featured in movies and TV shows, including <clears throat> one of my favorite Halloween treats, The Devil's Rejects. We'll have to watch that and see when it comes on. Yeah, I have to see where it comes on. Now, David Essex most recently starred in a jukebox musical featuring his own music. <laughs> Entitled All the Fun of the Fair, which had a small stint on the West End. And I had a short conversation with Jen about this. I can't think of another time where a music star starred in his own jukebox musical. That's not true because then you've remembered one. Oh, yes, that's right. Billy Joe played uh, St. Jimmy in American Idiot. Yeah. I take that all back. (laughs) But still. This is still an awesome fact. I'm actually going to find a clip of it for you and put it on Instagram. So that will be a fun little treat. And as you've probably gathered, he is still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Huzzah. Now for the only featured woman in this show, Julie Covington, who played Beth. She was the original concept album, Evita which we also have, which is crazy. But she turned down taking the role to the West End. I I just can't believe it. So in the newspaper, The Observer, in 1985, she is quoted as saying, The reason I turned it down was that I simply did not like the lady, Eva Perone. (laughs) I suppose it was a... Dumb decision, one I've regretted more than once. But quite honestly, if I can't feel something for the character, if the lines don't come from within, then I simply can't do it. I agree and disagree at the same time. Yeah. Do you think she knew that would be this iconic? No. She continues as saying, 
I suppose that it doesn't sound very professional, <laughs> but that's the way I am. I am a feminist, and okay, you can say that Eva Perón was a feminist, but she was also a fascist, and I feel I have to put those feminist feelings into my work. I can't articulate it for myself, but I can on stage. I have feelings. I think this is how she rationalized it for herself, and that's fine, because I'm sure she lives with a lot of regret and anxiety about that decision, because you can never know when you're making these choices on whether to do a role or not, if you're making the right one. But she's had a great career. She was the original West End cast of Rocky Horror. She was also in Godspell, like we said. But she does seem to have disappeared, although she has quite the fan base on the Facebooks. Yes, we, we found discovered a Facebook group de- dedicated to her, and some people, like, absolutely adore her which is amazing right because she has a great voice and i do think for the five minutes she was on stage she was (laughs) very compelling so i think it's kind of funny as as a week ago from recording this episode it was an anniversary of evita and we pulled out like the four cast recordings or three cast recordings and disco album of evita that we own and I pulled up the concept recording and I saw Julie Covington as Evita and I was, I was like, who, who is this? I don't know who this is. But now I feel like I know a little bit about her, which is great. It's time for audition cuts. Yeah. And <laughs> it's funny when we first started this, we we're like, are we going to find audition cuts? Well, we found some. There is definitely some audition yeah, cuts. Yeah. Mine's not the best. The show is obviously geared towards men <laughs> yeah but i do have one i uh, wonder who it is <laughs> it's carrie here you go just kidding <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously Beth. <laughs> oh i didn't even catch that i was like okay let's hear it you were waiting yeah yes yeah, so i was waiting for carrie i was i was truly waiting but I would have been waiting an eternity. You would have, yes. Yeah. So it's bad. <laughs> oh, um, and this is from the beginning portion of the Spirit of Man, where she is trying to convince her crazy husband to stop being crazy. There must be something worth living for. There must be something worth trying for Even something's worth dying for And if one man can stand tall There must be some hope for us all Somewhere, somewhere in the spirit of man All right, short, sweet. Solid cut. Is it? I think so. I mean, it's good. I'm only really left with two options here, so it is what it is. It doesn't really show off a lot of range, but it does show off a lot of emotion. Yeah, so maybe a second cut. Do you have another song in your book? Yes, I do. I have this one. Or if you're just having a rough vocal day, but you still (laughs) want to audition. Yeah, I could see that. It sounds good. Mm -hmm. So I could see it being a first or second choice. And also from a show that 
people have not heard of. Well, people in America. Mm-hmm. America. I would use this tentatively, as uh, Mikey was saying, if they asked for a second song <laughs> for Mary Magdalene in JCS and Mrs. Walker in Tommy. Although Mrs. Walker has some screlty screlts. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely the more emotional side of her, not the let me show off my vocals side of her. <laughs> but yeah, I like it. It does the job. On to you. You have way more options. <laughs> what do. did you pick? I did do you have... pick my song? The song that you just chose? Yeah, because it has great parts for the parson. He's crazy. Yes. I was thinking about it because I love it a lot, but I knew that you were going to. And also, (laughs) (laughs) how did you ever know? But also, I love the Artilleryman's Brave New World song. Oh, truth, truth. And upon a re-listen, I found a nice cut. Near, okay. Near the end, so let's give that a listen. Just think of all the poverty, the hatred, and the lies, and imagine the destruction of all that you despise. Slowly from the ashes, that phoenix will arise in a brave new world. With just a handful of men, we'll start all over again. So, yeah, I love that screaming rock tenor cut. Shows that you would use this audition for, surprisingly, very similar to Jen's list. (laughs) (laughs) I would definitely use it to audition for Tommy. Probably as Tommy. Oh, definitely as Tommy. Also Captain Walker. Mm Mm-hmm. Actually, many parts in that show. Oh, yeah. It's a very versatile song if you are auditioning for Tommy. Uh Uh-huh. And Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm Mm-hmm. If you are auditioning for... Judas, Jesus, Jesus, Simon Zealots, mm-hmm. all the high, 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 high men, hi, hi. high, high singing men. But maybe you want to audition for Roger and Rent. Maybe. Oh yeah, that's good. You want to be Freddie in chess? Just Rocky rolls. It's is a very <laughs> versatile. What about song. Rocky Horror? Rock oh. riff raff. I love how the more we talk about this, the more roles I can find to use this for auditions. Maybe. Yeah, I also realized that sh- my cut could be used for Rocky Horror, too. Yeah. Obviously, or Godspell too. Like these songs, also you know, kind of depending on your vocal type, how you approach them, singing them could be used for so many post 70s musicals especially the guys especially even the parson go back listen to it find (laughs) our audition cut it's amazing and if you're a lower voiced man i don't know what about if you just sing the chances of anything (laughs) coming from mars is a million to one they say you could lower it over you could really put make that a bass song (laughs) Woo, that'd be great well, that's like, you know, when they say like, well, can you sing? Can you just sing like happy birthday? Be like, no, I'm going to sing this instead. Oh, my gosh. What a good <laughs> idea. So, yes, for a third audition cut, try that. <laughs> and uh, if you do it, let us know. Tell us how it goes. That would be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so we have come to almost the end where we ask the question, should this musical still be produced? One, two, three. 
Duh. Yeah. <laughs> it actually is still being produced. It is. By Jeff Wayne himself. So the rebranded True Story of the Martian Invasion, that's the new subtitle. So it's Jeff Wayne's the musical version of War of the Worlds, the True Story of the Martian Invasion. Put that on a <laughs> postcard and send it. Was supposed to be opening in 2021, but now because of life as we know it, it is being rebranded as <laughs> the Life Begins Again tour. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. I kind of love that, though. And will be in the UK and one night in Amsterdam in 2022. So start planning now if we can go to those countries in 2022. Oh, I literally am planning it right now. Yeah, I would, I would love to go. I want to go so badly. Can I, can I go with you? Oh, yeah. We'll have enough points. <laughs> <laughs> this tour will have a bridge that goes over the orchestra. Mm. Three panoramic screens. Ooh. A levitation effect. Ooh. More pyrotechnics. Ooh. And a cast member is going to be, quote, incinerated in full view of the audience. I am so ready. What does it mean? <laughs> it means someone's being set on fire. For sure. And running off stage. And I'm guessing his name is Ogilvy. <laughs> <laughs> I would really love to see it. I'm excited to potentially go. Unless our country is banned forever from ever visiting anywhere ever again. <laughs> So, if we are banned from ever visiting anywhere else ever again, can we get the rights to do this show on this side of the pond? And the answer is, I don't really know. But it wouldn't hurt to ask. It wouldn't hurt to try. Now, I do know that in the UK, there are amateur productions of this done. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure amateur, amateur, but not the arena tour. I wonder if you can get the rights in the U.S. because Jeff Wayne has never produced it in the U.S. Uh, it could really go either way. Maybe he'd love for your group to do it in the U.S. I could definitely imagine some theater groups really soaring with this. And I really hope we get to see it here. I don't really know how much the rights are, unfortunately. They could be zero dollars. They could be a million dollars. It's all up to Jeff Wayne. Yes. And as you might have guessed it, you get the rights from Jeff Wayne himself. Uh, it looks like Jeff Wayne Music and Ollie Record Productions is where you get the rights to this show. And you can find that information by Googling Jeff Wayne Music online and going to that fancy website. Well, we'll also put it in the show notes. Oh, yes. There's <laughs> that, too. I do think that this show will always be relevant because until we actually meet a Martian, the chances of anything coming from Mars are real <laughs> yes i acknowledge that it's not at all a perfect show it's truly not but it's a fun show and few shows are perfect yeah very few, few. people are perfect like i could spew my thoughts about like how i could fix this show but it doesn't matter and it seems like jeff wayne himself is fixing the show as we go along he's been writing new lyrics he's been adding new characters he's editing it i mean at a very slow pace <laughs> but it's being edited and stuff is being added that's gonna be awesome it sounds like so the show can only get better 
Yeah, like, for example, I did read a small snippet that he added a scene between the journalist and Carrie at some point. <gasps> she speaks? Yes. So, like, that happened. It's just a scene. It's a snippet of a scene. But At least the girl talks, exactly. man. Exactly. So, who knows? Uh, maybe the version that you get when you request for the production is brand spanking new and has maybe thousands of girl songs. Just kidding. It does not have thousands. <laughs> well, that is all for today. Thank you guys so much for participating in our first two-part episode. Yes, thank you so, so much for listening. Yes, and if you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would really appreciate it. But only if it's nice. If you want to email us any suggestions, you can do that at buriedbroadway at gmail.com. Yep, or you can follow us on Instagram at buriedbroadway and send me a DM from there. I would love to know if you liked the two-part episode, if you thought it was too long, too short, yada yada. You can also search for our page on Facebook. We really appreciate all the support so far. Yes, we really do. Please help spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your dad. Tell your sister. Tell Just, I don't know. What, what will, will we dig, dig up, up next? next? Bye. Toodles. <laughs> I know we just played you some songs from the show. But that doesn't mean we have the rights, you know. We're educating you and ourselves, you see. With musicals lost in history. So please don't call your lawyers. That would kill the vibe. We just want to make podcasts. And keep buried Broadway alive. They're not devils, they're Martians.